Hi, everybody. I have some exciting news. I am launching a Substack. I know. I keep telling you how I'm not a writer, and I'm still not a writer, but I am going to be writing about reading over on Substack. The Substack is called Unstacked, and you can find it at tracythomas.substack.com. There will be free options every Friday. There'll be a bunch of weekly roundups, announcements, all the shit I'm into. And then if you want to upgrade yourself to the paid subscription, I'm going to have author interviews, bonus episodes, anticipated reads, book pairings, community chats, all sorts of stuff. So, If that sounds like something you'd be into, go to tracythomas.substack.com and join Unstacked. And of course, I've got a special offer for you. If you go to tracythomas.substack.com slash the stacks 10, you get 10% off your first year membership of Unstacked. You have from now until April 4th to redeem. Again, that's tracythomas.substack.com slash the stacks 10 for 10% off Unstacked. Okay, that's enough. Let's listen to this episode. Welcome to The Stacks, a podcast about books and the people who read them. I'm your host, Tracy Thomas. We're doing something a little different on today's show. With the election just two weeks away, I wanted to take time to talk about the election and politics. So I invited Akila Hughes to shed some light on this political moment. Akila is the co-host of Crooked Media's daily news show, What a Day. She is also the author of a collection of essays called Obviously Stories from My Timeline. She's a comedian and a television writer. We talk about working in news and Akila answers some of your questions about the election. Before we get to the episode, I want to say thank you to the Stacks Pack, aka the people who support the work of this show over on Patreon. Each month, they contribute $5 that helps me to make this show and gets them access to our virtual book club. I am forever grateful to all of you that joined the Stacks Pack because without you, this show would not exist. This week, I'm sending an extra grateful thank you, shout out, love vibe to Leslie Boyd, Maureen Hannon, Kimberly Peters, Mackenzie Pratt, Sarah at Fiction Matters, Tess Strickland, Sherilyn Topp, Alejandra MB, Abby Masso, and Amy Lomas. Thank you all so much. All right, now it's time for the Stacks Election Special with Akila Hughes. All right, everybody. I am here today with Akila Hughes. Akila, I'm so excited you're here. Welcome to the Stacks. Of course. Thanks for having me. COVID edition. <laughs> yes, super COVID edition. I feel like I have to tell the people when Akila and I are allowed to be in the same space together again one day, we're going to do like a full Stacks totally book podcast. But because we are in, you know, the hellscape of right now. We obviously can't be together. And because Akila is not only a comedian and a wonderful author, but she's also a podcast host and talks about politics, we're going to tap a little bit more into that side of Akila today. Um, but we will do books one day. Yes. Soon. <laughs> 
But just to give the plug for the book right now, just in case you don't even know about Akilah's book, it's called Obviously Stories from My Timeline, and it's a collection of essays. And why don't you just tell us about the book in like 30 seconds or so, so people can get the tease on how great it is. For sure. So uh, the book actually kind of follows my life in Kentucky in a very not diverse place. It's very small where raccoons can tunnel into your house and (laughs) force you to flee in the middle of the night. Um, And sort of follows the journey of a kid who's, you know, a millennial who grew up without the internet at first and then in middle school becomes, you know, enamored with social media and the internet and makes it a career. And so it's not, you know, a completist like memoir, but it is just funny stories from all of that time. And also some more serious ones about race and racism because it was the South. Right. Right. And because you're a black woman in America. So how could you not? Yeah, exactly. It doesn't really matter where I am, you know, (laughs) through this like... Someone will find a reason to be upset that I'm black. So Yeah. And it's so I read some of it and I listened to some of it on audiobook and you read the audiobook and it's so fun and great. And I have like very distinct memories of listening to the book in January in my car <laughs> being like, ah, life is so great. And now when I think about the book, I'm like, I can't believe I read that this year. Like, I feel yeah, like I read that, that was another time. Another lifetime. Um, okay, mm-hmm. let's talk about your other job, which is you're a co-host of the What A Day podcast, which is on the Crooked Podcast Network. Um, yes. I'm so curious how that came into your life because you're a comedian yeah. and it's a political show, essentially. Yeah, I mean, so it's funny, too, that you describe it as a political show because our intent was just to have a daily news show. Right. <laughs> it was never to be... Um, you know, especially political, it's just nothing else seems to be happening. Right. Like, even the virus itself was politicized. So we're like, well, damn, that's pretty much 100%. But um, yeah, Crooked sort of has been in my life since 2017. And so Love It or Leave It is a show hosted by John Lovett, who is also part of Pod Save America, which is the flagship show at Crooked. And they reached out to me. And I think of I think it was October of 2017. And they were like, would you like to be a contributor on this show? This just means, you know, sometimes we'll fly you out to be on a show. You can write stuff for our website, whatever. And I was super interested. And so literally a week later, they flew me out to LA to be on Love It or Leave It because I was back in the glory days when you could have live shows with a live audience. (laughs) Um, And I just think that like John Lovett and I immediately fell in love. Like we just knew we're like, this is, we have the same sense of humor and we can speak sort of extemporaneously about just the bullshit of the world. And it was really great. And so I kept contributing and I went on several tours with them. We did a West Coast tour, Portland, Seattle, San Francisco. We did a Midwest tour, which was Chicago and then Milwaukee and Madison. Um, Went to Miami with them. And then they did an HBO series called Pods of America for the midterm elections. And I was sort of a correspondent for them with these little interstitial videos And they were funny and, like, kind of short, quippy YouTube videos with, like, celebrities like Chance the Rapper and Steph Curry. And then, you know, they knew, I think, more, you know, before I even was aware that they wanted to have a daily news show going into the election. Just because they knew that, you know, people were going to be checking the news more and they don't have the bandwidth, you know, with all of the people who are on the main show also have spinoff shows. And they're like, we don't have time to do this. Right. And so I actually was in town helping them with a Vote Save America initiative. It's another part of their company. And they were like, well, we're, we have the script for a podcast host, for a daily podcast host. Do you want to read it and like give us notes on the script? And so I just read it and gave them notes on the script. And I was like, cool, whatever. And this was 2019. So my book hadn't come out yet. I was like literally the summer before it was coming out. So lots of just like me creating 
content for the internet about this book. Right, right. And um, what's kind of funny is at the same time, I got a different job offer to write for a show, for a, uh, an animated show in L.A. Um, that's like a spinoff, not really a spinoff, but another show from the creators of Bob's Burgers. They requested my book early. They loved it. And they're like, come write for us. So I'm like, yeah, that's great. I could be by coastal Like a TV writing job is only six months or something, you know? Um, so I'm all in on that. I've literally said yes to them. And I'm, you know, just back in New York working on book stuff. And my agent's like, so there's a wrinkle because they really like you at Crooked and they want you to host the Daily News Show. And I'm like, I have an audition. They're like, they liked when you read for them. And I'm like, was that an audition? <laughs> because literally I was just like, this joke's bad. I don't think that this makes sense. Like it was a lot of notes. I was very blunt. Um, and so I didn't sleep for a week. And finally I was like, you know what? The dominant conversation I'm seeing everywhere online is political. We're talking about the news all the time. Like even as a comedian, we were getting tired of it. Going on stage being like, the news is so much bigger than any, you know, like when I'm dating jokes. Because <laughs> like, you know, Donald Trump is maniac. And um, <laughs> uh, so I, yeah, with a lot of soul searching, I decided to take the job with Crooked. And uh, we auditioned a bunch of guys and and ladies <laughs> and, you know, non-binary folks and everybody. And uh, we all agreed on Gideon Resnick, who is the co-host, because uh, um, he's very sort of like a good straight man foil to my, oh like, my God. <laughs> absurdist comedic You bring self. the best out of Gideon. And I also refer to him as Giddy in my house because of you. Oh, yeah. He like he's like, people keep calling me Giddy. And honestly, I've never had a nickname. He's an only child. <laughs> oh, my God. So I think he really loves it. He feels like the Wad Squad is his family. So you made up Giddy for him. Yeah. Oh my God. I love Giddy. So my aunts, they also love the podcast. And I was telling them, I was like, I think that Akilah's is going to do the stacks. And they were like, oh, we love her. And we love what she does for Giddy. <laughs> I'm going to have to tell him this because he like, I literally just for, so the segment where I call him Giddy is the temp check segment. If you're not familiar with the podcast and this segment of the show, it's a 15 minute podcast, but this is like a two-minute segment of the show that is literally just decompression from the news, which I pitched because I was like, hey, everyone's at home and no one's doing well. Like, we should maybe right. not just give them more reasons to despair. Uh, and so the first, I don't remember the first tip check. It might have just been like, how you doing, bud? But I just, like, referred to him as Giddy. And then from then on, it was, like, solidified in the script every day. <laughs> like, we're not changing it. We all love it. I'm surprised no one has called him that before now. I'm surprised too. It's so good. I love, it's just, if you're not listening to What a Day, I, I don't know why. It's the perfect mix of news, like real hard hitting news stories. And then also just like talking about the news with your friends, which is what's nice. Yeah. And like the temp check is nice because mm -hmm. it does feel like real life because you might be on the phone with your girlfriend and be like, oh my God, this. Thing that Trump did, or oh my God, Lindsey Graham, what a terrible person! And then also be like, yes. Hey, did you hear that Subway is not calling bread bread, or they're not calling bread bread? And, and <laughs> yeah, like it doesn't qualify anymore because, it because it's sugar. all sugar. And then you're like, Oh yeah, by the way, these other five things I just saw on Twitter. So it it has that kind of like real news energy, yeah, but also like this is how life is. It's not too self serious like other daily news shows that are. Really, yeah, other daily yes. news shows <laughs> that are very stuffy. Yeah, I love to talk my um, um, talk my shit about it. But yeah, the truth is, I think that what I love about the show and what I'm really proud of, and I think sometimes what we're maybe even criticized for, but we take it in pride, is that like 
this is a show that people like because it doesn't ruin their life. Yes. Like you can be informed without having to like panic. I mean, I think some shows are invested in making you feel like, you know, the week of March 13th where suddenly Tom Hanks has COVID and there's no toilet paper and the NBA shuts down before the game. Like we can still be alive and talk about the news without it just beating us. And I think that, um, I, I'm really proud that we've figured that out because it's it's a new show. It's only been around less than a year. Right. We're coming up on our one year anniversary at the end of this month. Wow. And it's I mean, it's hard to do that in news, even though in real life, it's very easy to find the humor in these things. Like in real life, it would be crazy if you were having conversations about the news that were all serious and no one cracked a joke and no one found the humor or the absurdity <laughs> in things, you know? Yeah. Like if, it, if somebody or invited you to dinner or drinks and then where they were like, so anyway, here's all the bad news. You'd be yes. like this. I. Sorry, I said yes. Yeah, I don't want to be <laughs> I there. wish that I had drank at home. I feel like I've also noticed in some more like mainstream news shows that they are bringing in more humor. Like I've noticed when I watch like Rachel Maddow, her, mm-hmm. she, when like they do their post debate stuff now, they're definitely like being like, we can't try to we, crack jokes. We can't even keep a straight face. Like this shit is so crazy. Let's just yeah. lean into it. And I feel like that is totally the right note to take. Um, but mm-hmm. one of the things I'm so curious about as someone, you come from a comedic background, you've written a book, you, you're kind of like a renaissance woman, you've done all these different things, you write on TV, you. you act, you do all this stuff. But now you're interviewing like real politicians, like you're yeah. being asked to present serious news topics and talk to serious air quote people. Not that you're not yeah. serious, but what's that like? Yeah, I mean, but you know, yeah, like... Yeah, I I totally feel you. And uh, I think that like what's really wild is I have like I love the idea of me being a renaissance person. I'm like, yes, let me write down like tiny renaissance <laughs> as my like <laughs> next book title because I'm like, it is a the smallest renaissance. <laughs> Lots of interests, but not like, you know, there's no one piece of media people can point to and be like, that's Aquila Hughes' like, right. medium. Like, I'm not Da Vinci, you know, like I'm not <laughs> doing all of this. But um in my past lives, you know, one of my jobs was working at Fusion, which no longer exists. I think it became Splinter, and who knows if that's still a thing, right. but um, it's probably not. <laughs> but, but back in its heyday, um, it was uh, this joint venture between ABC and Univision, and I was there with the express purpose of making like comedic videos and writing pop culture daily sort of news hits. And when I left there to write my book, of all the things, um, they invited me back to host the Brown and Black Forum or help moderate the Brown and Black Forum in Iowa. And so this is a, you know, every four years presidential event that is specifically having presidential candidates come and speak to Brown and Black communities about issues that affect them directly. And it's it's not partisan, but Republicans have never said yes, which I'm like, okay. <laughs> that's the red and on the wall. But uh, in 2016, I interviewed Bernie Sanders, Hillary Clinton, and Martin O'Malley live with other, I mean, like, very established journalists, like Jorge Ramos, who famously got kicked out of a room by Donald Trump because, I guess, because he's Hispanic, um, and Alicia Menendez, who's now, I think, at MSNBC. Um, And so it was definitely, I think, after that experience, I stopped having any sort of pretense about interviewing people who have this gravitas, who you know, exist in spaces where they have to speak very candidly, but like you said, seriously about issues that people care about. And so I think that my comedy is all rooted in pointing out the absurdity of situations. And so there's no better like job for me to have than like, how absurd is it that this girl who like actively talks about like, you know, smoking weed, (laughs) it calls Lindsey Graham a dumb hoe on Twitter. It's like interviewing candidates 
for the Senate and, you know, presidential candidates. Um, I think that it's I've, I've just gotten really lucky in that regard uh, to be able to exercise my sort of goofiness. And I do think that, um, you know, all of the politicians and uh, experts that we interview do their due diligence and research me. And so I think that our our interviews get to be a lot more like disarming where it's like, let's just actually have the conversation you can say something silly and you can feel comfortable to be like a real person in this interview versus like a CNN, you know, buttoned up sort of pundit thing. Right. That, you know, Pete Buttigieg is really good at, but I'm like, I think that we would rather him be a little silly sometimes, you know? Right. I think that, I mean, I think that touches on the spirit of the show too. Do you ever get nervous before them? Those kind of interviews? I'm always nervous. Oh, good, I like get too. so nervous that like, yeah, like I, I don't think that I've ever been a person, even when I do like stand up shows and stuff, like I get nervous every time. But I am one of those people who can like transfer nervous energy into like around the five minute mark, I'm good. You know, yeah. <laughs> like I just have to, I have to like kind of fall on my face first. I always tell people I am like really good at second impressions. Like Ooh. the first five minutes, you might be like, eh, I don't know. And then you're like, I love it. You know what? I'm all in. <laughs> and so that's kind of even how I feel about our show is like when it first started. I haven't gone back and listened to the first episodes, but you could hear the nerves yeah. um, because we were trying to fit so much information into the show and it was so scripted and I didn't know Gideon that well yet. Like he had just moved to LA even after I had, and we'd only been here less than a month. So it was like really trying to create something that didn't exist with someone I didn't know <laughs> right? in a, a format that neither of us had ever actually right. worked in. And so I think right now we're like at that five minutes where people are like, oh, it's good now. Like I totally get what this is. I think you're right. I mean, not that the show wasn't good from the beginning, but I started listening on day one. Like I heard the announcement. I was like, oh, I cannot <laughs> wait. I'm so excited. Mm-hmm. And it, def- it it was good in the beginning, but it's definitely better now. You guys have hit your stride. Like, I, like we said mm-hmm. before, you and Gideon have such a great relationship. And I think that the yeah. balance is there between the serious and the fun. Um, and also, yeah. I mean, in the last like month you guys have had some insane guests on which is I mean you just had Jamie Harrison you had Mike Espy like you've had Mm -hmm. people that are very much in this moment which I think has added you know just to the enjoyment of listening to the show um Mm -hmm. one of the things that also happened in the last few months on the show is obviously we're in LA there's a fucking helicopter just circling my house right now (laughs) if you don't live in LA you don't know but if you live in LA you're like of course (laughs) I'm like, yeah, I'm like, geez, it's weird. We're always at a war zone. Yeah, it's one <laughs> o'clock on a Saturday. Like, how dare you? But one of the things I think one of the topics that you've talked about that has been the most poignant for me is after the murder of George Floyd and then also after the Breonna Taylor verdict, you spoke very candidly and openly and vulnerably about your relationship uh, to this type of news and and particularly in the George Floyd case, it was a conversation about seeing this type of violence on your timeline. And I'm sort of curious, you know, as I think probably for some people, you're the only black woman that speaks to them. Um, yeah. Especially frankly, especially um, as an equal and not maybe as someone who works for them or someone that they casually right. see at, you know, a, a waitress or exactly. A, right. So I'm curious. Kind <laughs> or of like how, their cousin's niece. <laughs> right. Like someone that they actually listen to. And, and I'm assuming for the most part respect if they're continuing to listen to you. So I'm wondering right. how, what that's like for you, how you handle that responsibility, how you, get the confidence and the bravery to have these conversations. Um, It's really impressive. So I'm just curious kind of how that has been for you. I appreciate you calling it impressive. I think that like what's impressive about it to me is that like emotionally it's the hardest thing. It's the hardest part of my job. 
right? Sure. Because like there's a lot of news I can distance myself from. And, you know, I remember talking to someone who was sort of like um like they worked in like child protective services and they were like it, you have to learn not to take the job home with you because mm. like otherwise, you know, day 2 of your job <laughs> is the last day of your job. Right. And you know, they were very honest and saying, like, I'm not good at that. And so I'm upset a lot, you know, like it it is the hardest thing and I don't know why I keep doing it. And I feel that way a lot of the time, to be completely frank. It's like, I I think in some ways I do feel like I have an opportunity to change the minds or even just, you know, give people some pause to say, wait a minute, black people are actually just people. Right. (laughs) These are people. They're not aliens. They're not, you know, like what I've seen on the news is like the separate group or even in, you know, political debates where they're like our African-Americans as if they're not talking to black people who are watching it. Right. right. Like We're not an other. We're more people in the same place. Right. But this happens to us. And so I feel like I have the personality and I think that I have just like I have a hard time shutting it off. And I also know that I can't. I don't have a muzzle on me. And so I can't not say what I'm thinking about it. You know what I mean? Like when we're writing these scripts and we're talking at the beginning of the day at our work meeting about, you know, what are the, what are today's biggest news stories? When stuff like that happens, I'm like, obviously we're covering this and I'm going to go away and write it. And like, I get all of the respect and space to do that. No edits, you know, like say how you feel on the show because this is our show. Right. Like, objectively, we're not just here. Like, we have, I think, the privilege of getting to be ourselves on our show. And so I guess to answer your question about, like, how how that feels or how I do it, I think it's, um, you know, I'm always amazed that I do any podcast. <laughs> like, anytime I listen back, I'm like, wow, I can't believe I, like, got out of bed and did a thing. Like, right. Um, but I think, especially for those episodes, I can't listen back. But I, I believe that it is necessary for people who listen to a show where they may even forget that I'm black because they listen every day and they're like, this is what I do in the morning. Like there's no, for them, it's not like I listen to it because it's a black person. I listen to it because it's news. Right. Um, And I think that like it serves two purposes. One, I think it snaps them out of that thinking of like, this is just a normal thing where everybody is equal and everybody gets the same stuff. It's like, oh no, like Akilah could be that girl. Akilah absolutely is within the same age range as Breonna Taylor's from Kentucky could have the police say, well, she's in this picture, you know, doing this and discredit anything I've ever done with my life for the sake of, you know, keeping their own hands clean. And I think that um, it's been really humanizing for me. Like, I feel like the interactions I have online are better, Mm. especially with the people who listen to the show. Like, they're like, thank you so much for telling me this. I was able to share this with my family members that I fucking hate, (laughs) who don't don't care about black people. And they like really had to hear you and they did. Um, and I also think that like, you know, it's a point of pride to me that our audience is diverse and we always approach stories that we're talking about as if we're talking to the people who are affected by them. And I think that it's helpful for white people to not be centered Mm. in a story about George Floyd. Like when I talk about my emotions, they have to shut up about theirs. It's not about, you know, who somebody said this to me or, well, I think it's like, no, a black person's telling you what it is. And I think that like. It's to the benefit of those white people who do listen to the show because now they're not talking over 
a black person's opinion, they can share a black person's opinion. And mm. they can also, I think, feel secure in knowing that like the coverage that they're going to get from our show gives them a context that is, you know, not just an emotional black context, but a sociological one. Right. right. Like you can't just say, you know, like. Full disclosure, Michael Barbaro cannot just say, like, this is how black people feel about it. Or, like, this is what it's like to be a black person right now. Right, right. And I do think that, like, there is um, a lacking education in a podcast like that. Like, you're not getting the whole story. You are missing clear context. (laughs) And so I feel, I think I feel privileged to talk about it, but on, like, my own personal level, you know, so much of my therapy sessions has been dominated by these topics. That I think that it's like it does weigh on me to have to talk about it. Obviously, I would rather it not happen. Right. And so like to have my like livelihood staked in it uh, is hard. But like and and I mean, I guess, you know, like not another. I don't think that I'm not on the show to like just say like Crooked is so great. But I think one great thing about Crooked is that like when that verdict came out, we I wrote the script. We did a read through. I couldn't get through it without crying. They're like, take the day. Yeah. Like we can have someone fill in for you and you can come back tomorrow. And I, I like that I'm propped up by a team that absolutely respects that. Yeah. That's really nice. And I think, you know, you hit on not just, not just that your, your opinion and your voice is getting heard, but also that you're able to represent other people and ask the questions for us. Like, when we're talking about other news shows, whether it's other podcasts or on television or whatever, oftentimes I'm sitting listening and I'm like, well, why isn't anyone asking about this thing? You know? And it's like, no one, no one at the table, no one in front of the microphone, no one in the room represents me. And I think that's one of the things that's so great about what a day is that you represent a different group of people than normally is able to ask the questions and normally getting to be the authority on these issues. And so I think that that's something that is, I, I appreciate about the work that you do. And I'm grateful that you take on the emotional labor for the rest of us, because I can be like, yes, someone finally asked that person, you know, or someone yes. finally or like said, said that yeah, sentence. made that point. <laughs> yes. It's like, right. Oh my gosh. Like, I, I mean, I, I don't, I'm not a big crier, but I definitely welled up during the George Floyd um, episode. I guess it was maybe not, it wasn't the day of, it was maybe like a few days later. And you talked about the seeing of the video over and over and how we don't see the video for other people, for when white people are Mm -hmm. murdered and that whole, I'll link to it in the show notes so people can listen to it. But I mean, I think that that was one of the greatest moments of non-scripted podcasting um, I mean, I know you guys write it out, but I mean, as opposed to like a serialized show. Right, um, right. Thank you. Really I mean, I appreciate it. And like, I will say that was probably the first time, uh, you know, for our show that I like, I just wrote it that way where I'm like, I don't need, you know, to come up with questions for Gideon to ask so I can make certain points. I don't need to research deeper about this because like you know that was also within it was in the shadow of Ahmad Arbery being right and so it was such a and you know that guy in the park getting the police called on him right because he told a woman put her dog on a leash yeah right and so it's like I felt like I'm like we can do a headline every day about a black person being brutalized and you know murdered and victimized in this country or I can just take the segment and say it right and 
it, it was different than anything we had done up until that point. So it's like there was no sense of like if people were going to be mad, if they were going to like, you know, give us a ton of one star ratings, whatever. And it is to this day the most popular thing, like the transcript is the most popular thing I've ever posted online. Like wow. people, I think black people knew obviously that like seeing this shit is hard. Mm-hmm. White people, on the other hand, I think we're like, we're not aware of it if we're not sharing it. We don't want this to fall by the wayside. And I'm like, you can't be aware of it if you don't see it. Right. That's not true for anything else. <laughs> you know right. what I mean? Like, right. Right. I don't see you going outside and be like, I'm unaware of the wind. <laughs> right. I can't right. see it. Like, you can know a thing. And I think that, like, to me, that's, you know, it's a sad part of my job. But I think that it is worthwhile to be a person who can humanize the issues. Like, we can't just keep looking at it like it's at a distance or like we are watching a movie and we're like, can't believe that happened. I'm like, no, it's happening to people. It's happening to us in a country we live in that we pay taxes in, that we like go to school in and we work in and, you know, where the streets we walk down, like this is where it's happening. And I am really proud to say that, like, when all of that popped off, I saw more on Twitter and more on Instagram of, you know, white people who mean well saying like, I'm not going to share these videos anymore. I'm not going to let you forget that it happened, but like, you don't need to put this trauma in front of black people every day and act like that's not what you're doing. And so it's not that, you know, obviously I'm not the only black person who's ever said that, but I felt like that became a key part of the conversation. Once, you know, once we, we all had to witness that horrible video of George Floyd, like it was so unavoidable that it's like this was the conversation that needed to be had, and I don't think it was being had on most news shows. They were just showing it on a loop. Right. Yeah, I agree. Okay, um, let's take a quick break, and then we're going to come back and talk about this current election. Taking care of your health isn't always easy, but it should be at least simple. That's why for the last three-plus years, I have been drinking AG1 every day, no exceptions. It's just one scoop mixed in water once a day, every day, and it makes me feel nourished and strong enough to tackle whatever else might come my way. That's because each serving of AG1 delivers my daily dose of vitamins, minerals, pre and probiotics, and a lot more. It's a powerful, healthy habit that's also powerfully simple. The nutritional insurance that AG1 provides has been vital to keeping me productive and focused. It helps me cover my bases in just about the time it takes to fill a glass of water, scoop in one scoop of AG1, and then drink it. So I don't know, 75 seconds? With the perfect mix of vitamins, probiotics, and nutrients from Whole Foods, I'm not stuck trying to assemble it all by myself, which would have considerably worse results. AG1 saves me all the time and hassle, and it has made such a difference in my overall mood and especially my gut health, among many other things. But don't take my word for it. Go ahead and try AG1. Let me know what you think. Whether you notice you're needing more nutrient support than you're used to, or you just need an edge for a tough workout, AG1 can be the ticket. If there's one product I had to recommend to elevate your health, it's AG1, and that's why I've partnered with them for so long. If you want to take ownership of your health, start with AG1. Try AG1 and get a free one-year supply of vitamin D3, K2, and five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase exclusively at drinkag1.com slash the stacks. That's drinkag1.com slash the stacks. Check it out. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, 
and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be Continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. All right, we're back. So I, I kind of cryptically posted on Instagram being like, what are some questions you might want to ask someone who's in the political world? So I have some questions for you from people. Ooh. I sifted through some of the ones that I felt like were not, they were like a little too, like, I think they thought I was going to have like Steve Kornacki or whatever. It was like, it was like real serious inside baseball questions. And I was like, I, I don't know. Like She's not going to know percentages of anything. Yeah, I was like, <laughs> she's going to vaguely reference some stuff. So I kind of like I just yeah. sift through things. So one of the things that people asked about um, was where can they get good news? So I guess the question is where can they get good news, but also where do you source your news to talk and write about it on the show? Yeah. I mean, that's actually a really important thing that we talk about on our show all the time because we have a pitch meeting every day where we all come to the table with stories. And a lot of times my stories are a little bit under the radar and they're like, where do you get these? Um, so I use a really great tool called Feedly, which uh, is sort of back in the RSS feed days of the internet. But it's a website that basically you can input places where you like to get news and they'll suggest other places that have news. Um and so every day you click it and it'll tell you how many people have read these stories. And so it's like, we know what the most popular story is, obviously. Like in a week where Donald Trump gets COVID, that's the number one story. Right. But there are also stories that will fly under the radar on bigger news sites that hundreds of thousands of people are aware of. You know, decisions about DACA, decisions about, um, you know, COVID in schools and, you know, where teachers are weighing in. And so I would recommend getting a Feedly account. It's free. And I like I would share you my like what is in my feed. If you were curious, it's it's very easy for me to do. They export it and you just import it. Um, but for me, I think that I like to start on Twitter, kind of the night before any show we have. I like to just sort of go through, and I follow lots of great people online. So it's another thing that I'm like, you gotta just follow a diversity of people. But I bookmark stories that I think are maybe not there yet. Like this isn't a big deal yet, but this is probably going to become something. Mm, interesting. I like to share it. A good example of that would be like uh, when there was a story about Harvey Weinstein. He was out of jail at that point, I guess. Maybe he, I don't know if he got bonded out or it was between trials or something, but he went to a comedy show and this young female comedian uh, basically just read him the riot act on stage right. with a microphone. It's like, why are you in here? Being this whole thing. She got like booted out because the person who owned the club was so embarrassed. And, you know, the night before, it's like 80 people retweeted it. The next day, she's doing interviews with Deadline and all these other places. And I'm like, it's important for us to stay ahead of the news because I think, you know, the benefit of being on the West Coast is like when, you know, Donald Trump's COVID diagnosis came out at 1 a.m. Eastern, right. we had just gotten done recording the show and it was only 10 o'clock. So I'm like, great, let me just get back on the mic and race this edible <laughs> because, <Right. laughs> it, you know, it's coming in hot. <laughs> it's a Friday yeah. night for me and uh, 
trying to knock it out. Um, but <laughs> the other thing is like, I think that we, we also kind of are at a disadvantage because a lot of times we're doing the news that happened so much earlier in the day that people are already aware of it. And so, you know, the benefit then is like, if we can just stay ahead of the news. Um, but yeah, long, long winded answer way to say, I think you just have to follow people like a diversity of people online and, you know, use a tool like Feedly. People use a lot of different things. And I think that like aggregating news from a lot of different places makes it really easy to one, read between the lines of what Mm. people think is interesting about a story and being like, well, I'm not covering this to death. Like, let's just do this other thing with it. But it also can open your eyes to stories that are just going to go, you know, underreported in mainstream media and yet be like a huge story that people are talking about because it affects their lives. Right. Right. That's great. That's a great idea. Um, so other people wanted to know about how you, they didn't know who you were, So, but I am actually genuinely <laughs> curious about you specifically, but how someone who is in news politics is practicing self-care right now. Oof. <laughs> well, uh, I'm not doing a great job of it, I will admit. <laughs> okay. And I think that like you got to check on your favorite reporters right now because right. it is more news than ever and more bad news than ever. So it's like the volume on its own would make someone exhausted. But then it's just like, wow, another bad thing happened. Another bad thing. Um, For me, uh, I play a lot of video games, which I talked to my therapist about. She's like, you could be, you know, drinking too much. Or like if I had a spouse beating my spouse, like there's a lot of worse ways people handle things. Right, 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 right. I should feel better about the fact that I'm just spending hours and hours on Animal Crossing and Mario Kart. Um, (laughs) But I do think that, like, escapism, like, this is when art is most important, right? Sure. It's the time where it's, like, not only can it illuminate the issues of today that we're having, but it can also help you escape out of them and see a world where better things are possible. And so I have been watching more TV, more sci-fi, reading more mm. novels than, like, you know, essay books than ever in my life because mm. I think that, like, you know, seeing a parallel world – where some of these issues get resolved at some point, whether that be right. through like the Hunger Games or whatever, you know, it helps because I think that like we're all just too close to the news. <laughs> yes, I've been watching, I've been preparing, um, you know, doing it for Rue, <laughs> I volunteers yeah. tribute. But I oh think God. that like we do need that space. And I also think that like, especially with all of the bad news specifically affecting black people in America, which is like, right. obviously the COVID crisis hurt, hitting harder, the economy right. hitting harder, um, police brutality and protesters being fucking injured and attacked. That hits really hard and close to home. And so, you know, I've been reading a lot of novels by black women, older black women who are like just experts. And two of them just won MacArthur Genius Grant. So like go off. It's Jacqueline Woodson and N.K. Jemison. Um, and I think that like that has been so healing because yeah. I think so much of my life growing up in Kentucky, I was so isolated. There was, I mean, truly like, you know, there were black people in the community, but not in the schools I was going to. I had no black right. teachers. I felt right. really just like isolated in a lot of ways. These are books that I probably would have even been like a little embarrassed to have like, oh, well, there's not a white main character. So you guys are going to ask me about it and you're not going to like it. And that's not cool. Mm. And we're so past that. You know what I mean? We're so right. past it. My niece is seven. She couldn't be prouder to be a black woman. <laughs> she fucking loves it. She's <laughs> always like if we're drawing together, she's like, let's make them brown. <laughs> you know what I mean? Oh like she God. loves her skin and she loves who she is. And I, I feel like there's, you know, as sad as it is, there's never been a black, a better time to be a black person. Right. And 
So reading stories that can fictionalize our lives and can highlight things that are maybe struggles, but put them in a place that is more um, romanticized, like the future, right? Uh, feels good. And it, it takes some of the edge off of just the onslaught of terrible shit. Yeah. I think that probably a lot of people listening right now can relate to books as a form of salvation in a sense, yes. since this is yes. nominally a book podcast. Um, and yeah, exactly. You're like, that's what it typically is. What like, we normally talk we talk about. about books. So people are like, oh, yeah, Jacqueline Woodson, like, check, we know her. Yeah, She's exactly. been on the show before. She's, oh. I mean, she is a genius. So she I'm glad. She is the best person. I met her at BookCon, the last BookCon before the world ended. <laughs> Because my book was coming out and her book was coming out. And we also had the same publisher. She's at Penguin. And um, it was so funny. I was such a fan that like she started walking over and I'm like, I don't know how to sign my name. Like if she wants a book, I'll just die. Like I'll just die. And she was like, can you sign one for my daughter? She loves you. And I'm like, oh, I love you. <laughs> like, I love you so oh much, Jacqueline. God. I love your whole family. Your daughter's amazing. I don't even know her. She's amazing. Like I was so embarrassing. <laughs> I was truly like she was I think after a certain point like oh my god <laughs> you That's really amazing. love me and I'm like but you don't understand what you mean you know oh. and I think that I think that you know I'm glad that she's getting her flowers while she is here because she is a genius she is one of the greatest she, writers that, and the fact that we get to be alive at the same time I'm like choking up but the stuff the fact that we get to be alive at the same time as her is really amazing yeah Cry, baby. She's, it's okay. <laughs> I'm crying, like watching you cry. Speaking of BookCon, that's where we met, and I actually have my copy that you signed for me from BookCon oh of your book. Yes, right here. <laughs> the paperback. That's. I'm like, that's got to be worth at least two dollars. <laughs> yeah, it's the early. It's the early copy because it was like June. Yeah, it's got all it the typos. Out. I mean, there's like yeah. still some typos in books, which is like frustrating. But I will say, I love. There's one on like the first page of my book, and I'm like, well, that's not good. <laughs> Okay. But I, it's like, hey, you, if you get the gist, yeah, it's not it's on me. Like, what? It's not your fault. Like, someone right. was supposed to check Also, that, I right? think that, like, it also helps people feel smarter, right? Like, if you, if you find the typos, <laughs> you should feel really good. <laughs> this is a, a, a pick-me-up. <laughs> yeah, it's like, look at you. You also are uh, qualified for a MacArthur Genius Grant. You found a typo in my <laughs> <laughs> You still hear that I put a comma instead of a period. That's great. <laughs> I'm sure you get like all these like well well actually there was supposed to be a semicolon thanks so much oh I love it it's like my favorite thing because I'm like it's done yeah it's done. <laughs> I did it like sorry you should have called me earlier um okay. yeah like damn <laughs> how about I'm I'm very interested in this one how will people know how things are going on election day do you know how we'll know like if it's looking good for the for the blue people or it's looking bad like yeah. are there any signs that we can hold on to in the hopes of a win here's what i'll say probably not and very i would say uniquely because this year they're definitely not going to be done counting the votes for probably a week out like a lot of these mm -hmm. states have already made rules in their new constitutions and their amendments that like they're gonna count till the 12th and they're gonna stop counting the votes and so what i would say is if it's such a blowout already because they'll know how many outstanding votes they have right so that'll be helpful and i'll say like um definitely watch like steve kordaki sure <laughs> like i like it when he rolls up his sleeves and gets serious oh but like, yes steve you know in a state like right and like in a state like florida where there's going to be record mail voting i think if they have any percentages that night that are going towards blue that's a good sign i think that like they're gonna have just so many ballots to count by mail but 
there are more people voting by mail than ever. And when that happens, that typically is a good sign. So I'd say the good sign is here, but you're not going to know. And also yeah. Donald Trump is going to fight whatever decision tooth and nail. So like, just prepare yourself emotionally for him lying on Twitter, saying he won, suing everybody, trying to get the Supreme Court to just say he won. It's right. going to be a shit show. Like I would say just prepare yourself for the long haul. I told my office, I'm like, uh, if he, if it gets too stressful, like the show's just going to come out at weird hours. We're not going to yeah. have a consistent schedule. It's whatever I can wake up from my doom nap to like right. <laughs> give an update. That's it. Right. Oh, God. <laughs> okay. What about <laughs> the fact that it's within a month? Oh, my heart. I, I know. So when people listen to this episode, it will be two weeks to the election. So we're recording this a little bit before that. So if there's been like some crazy breaking news, like, I don't know. Like Trump co- is sicker than he was or something. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like if there's some illness things or like whatever, yeah. we're not talking about that because we don't know that right. that's happened yet. But yeah, that actually if it's happening into- yet, we're not. Everything we're is continuous sure. based on the date. <laughs> okay. This is actually a perfect segue into a question that my brother asked me the other night. Oh. He said he and his w- uh, wife were talking and they were like, okay, 2020 is an HBO drama show. We are currently in the eighth episode of a 10 season arc. Mm. What are the last two episodes? Mm. Wow. That's a great question. Okay. So let me put this in like Watchmen terms. So I would say that this is a show that goes linear. It's not going to be a lot of flashbacks. Although I feel like always the penultimate episode is a flashback to like something that feels irrelevant and then comes back. So perhaps we will get like a glimpse of something that Donald Trump did in the first campaign episodes yeah <laughs> in 2016 that comes back to bite him i'm not exactly sure what it is like perhaps his emails get leaked instead of hillary's <laughs> and yeah so i think maybe there'll be some allusion to that and then we'll see that come to fruition but i do think that like he is a person who seems to have a lot of karma built up to just like topple him so i think what would in my dream HBO drama scenario is like on election day as he's going to cast his ballot. Cause in, in this series he casts in person, he's so okay. you know true to his word that he's not going to actually vote by mail, even though he always does. Um, <laughs> as he goes to get there, the feds are there. They meet him at the door and they just take him in and then curtains. <laughs> Some nice Nicholas Brightel piano comes in <laughs> and we just have to see what happens next. But I don't think we find out. Who wins? I think we just know that this man is no longer a contender and that Mike Pence may be the main character of the next season. Oh, no. God, I hope not. Okay, that's really good. That's really good. Um, You know, I mean, hire me to write (laughs) for Watchmen 2. They're not going to do more Watchmen, thank goodness. It's a perfect show. It's perfect. They're not doing another season? No, it was supposed to be like its own limited series. And I think it was perfect. Yeah, it was great. I mean, it was great. But Even though I, I do, I mean, more. they they should just bring back all the writers and do another show, right? Yeah. Well, and please bring back Regina King. I mean, the cast was just so yes. good that it's sort of like, I just want to see those people and I just want to hear that story again and again and again. But whatever. Same. Fine. It's so excellent. What are some ways that people can make the most impact in the last two weeks leading up to the election? Aside from themselves voting, aside from actually voting. Yeah. I mean, one thing that I will say is like a lot of people are still kind of doing their like register to vote initiatives. And there are a lot of places where you can register in person at the voting location day of check your state's rules. But I think that like 
it's a good time to transition out of the register conversation and talk more about like the rights of people at voting locations, because people are going to play dirty this year. If you're going to vote in person, there's going to be a lot of hurdles. There's probably going to be like, you know, (laughs) people who shouldn't be there watching the polls and whatever else. And so I think that like, you know, obviously I'd say vote save America because they are owned by my company and it's like a great site, but they have good resources for phone numbers you should have in your phone in the event that you feel like you're Mm. being disenfranchised or told lies or they're closing your location early because no one's in line or whatever else. Like, so I would say like, Voter enfranchisement is an important thing, and I'm going to be hitting it really hard on my Instagram just because I know that people – there's a lot of people who thought they would vote in, uh, uh, by mail or they vote early, and they're just – you know, people are busy. Times are crazy. You might have your ballot at your house and be like, you know what? I'm not going to vote by mail. I'm just going to go in person. It's easier. I can't get to the mailbox. And so really just checking and rechecking that you have all of those details, and I would say that like Votes of America has been really good about having – um like a a really huge fund to flip the Senate. And I think that that is the most underreported part of all of this is like, obviously we all want to get rid of what is happening currently. Right. Um, But I think the other side of that is that like, we can still hold, you know, we can hold a new administration and the old administration accountable if we can flip the Senate. And so Votes of America has really good details on where people are polling. And so they basically choose where the money goes each week to different campaigns to make sure that they can, you know, blow out the Republicans on, you know, digital advertising, TV advertising, um, all that stuff. But as an individual, right, if you want to help, text the people in your phone. I can't tell you how many people I texted and was like, are you registered? Where are you voting? What's your plan? And you would think that they'd be like, what is this? Some like, you know, (laughs) automated message. And they were all like, Akilah, you know, I'm already voting. Like, this is all my details. Like, thanks for checking in. And I'm like, cool. Why don't you ask five of your friends? Like the five that you least believe will be prepared that day. We all got some, some friends who might not show up one time to brunch <laughs> you right, know right <laughs> call them up be like hey we're making a plan if you can't figure it out we're going together like just be ready at the door and i'll pick you up but right. check on your people because i think that like we all underestimate our power to convince the people in our own lives to care and we also overestimate how much people care because we care so we're right. like oh people will care about this only if you make them <laughs> only right. if you hold them accountable only if you say i'm not i don't want to hear from you if this goes awry and you didn't do anything Right, right. I want to piggyback on that um, because I think it's also important to check on the people in your community who might be slightly more vulnerable, especially in this election. So if you have elderly family members who maybe didn't send their ballot in, but you have a state where you can drop the ballots off somewhere that maybe you can go by their house and pick up their ballots because – you know, people who listen to the show know that I am, I have worked on campaigns before and I'm very passionate about the grassroots organizing part. And we've been making a lot of phone calls and I've been using the Vote Save America resources as well. And they're fantastic. But ultimately, none of the calling or door knocking or texting or any of that matters if the people don't actually turn out to vote. So you could right. spend six months on the phone with your grandpa and convince him to vote and switch mm-hmm. over. And he's never voted for a Democrat before. And he's finally going to cast his vote for Jamie Harrison in South Carolina. And it's the greatest day. And then he yep. forgets to turn in his ballot. So it doesn't, right. none of it matters if there's not an actual plan to vote. And so in addition to telling people to get a plan, once they communicate that to you, following up with them, if they say, I'm going to vote by mail and my ballot just got here, texting them back in a week and saying, 
did you turn in your ballot? Or if you have a grandpa or um, maybe your babysitter when you were a kid is still part of your family and they're much older now and they need help Mm -hmm. and maybe they need a ride to the polls or they need someone to pick up their ballot. So doing not just the implanting work and the planning work, Mm -hmm. but also, you know, taking responsibility on your own self to make sure that all of those votes that you've been working on actually are counted because they're turned in. Um, Mm -hmm. And also I'll just add every state is different and making sure that you understand the little intricacies of your state's ballot, mail-in ballot. Some states Mm -hmm. you can, like in California, for example, we, everyone who's registered to vote received a ballot in the mail. You can also still vote in person, either early or, um, or on election day. And so in some states, if that's the case, you have to bring your ballot in anyways and turn it in if you want to vote in person. In some states, you just have to vote in person. Right. So just making sure you understand Googling all of the rules about your state. The Secretary of State's office for your state will have that information. I think Votes of America has that information for each state as well. So just maybe checking two sources, just doing your due diligence. Because if you don't know for sure 100%, someone might try to steal your vote from you. Someone might try to find a way Mm -hmm. to make it so that you can't vote. Um, So I just really want to reiterate that. Yeah, you're spot on. I mean, so I voted absentee for Kentucky. My mom works the polls every single election, local election, whatever. She loves doing it. She's done it for years. And um, so she is in town uh, <laughs> quarantining currently because I am having some medical stuff this week. But I handed her the ballot. I was like, this is the like interaction we're allowed to have. And she's like, I'll take it back and I'll, I'll like drop it off in the ballot boxes so you have it. Um, but, you know, something that I did while I was on the phone with her as I was filling it out was like I went to ballot. Wikipedia, I think is what it's called. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know that, you know, people are like, they have some shady dealings, which is probably true. But <laughs> the one thing that is very like clear on the website is that like they tell you exactly who is paying for each initiative in your state. So like, especially mm-hmm. in California, they're like Uber's paying hundreds of millions of dollars right. for you to vote the wrong way on this. Right. Um, it doesn't say the wrong way. It just tells you what they're paying for. Right. Um, and so for me uh, in Kentucky, we have a lot of city council races for my little area. And it's so funny how little democracy exists there that like for starters, they have like, you could have 10 people running they never have the full list. Like it's only six people right. are doing it. So they'll all probably get on, but they don't even have websites that explain right. who they are. So I had to go on their Facebook pages to figure oh out what gosh. they believe in. Half of them were cops. I'm like, I'm voting for one person who's a biology <laughs> teacher. The rest of you can choke. Like, I don't care. So like, I would also say, if you really want to be like, queen of voting or king of voting in your area do that due diligence spend an hour research who these people are and what they stand for and what these propositions are and what you know who's going to be on the environmental survey team and all of these things that perhaps in the past you would have just been like i'll vote for everybody because it says to vote for everybody like i have this many options really just do the work because you shouldn't give your vote to anyone you don't believe in yeah that's such a great point um you said ballot ballotpedia that's a great resource also i use voters edge which is another resource and and they will tell you as well like where the money's coming from um and then you know i also will go on 
different parties' websites and or their Instagram and see what they're voting for and try to, you know, aggregate that. There's so many resources out there and it just takes it probably takes if you want to do like a, a strong, good job with your ballot, depending on where you live, it probably would take you an hour or two of really sitting down with your computer and just looking over things. And I'm sure if you're listening to this podcast, you probably spend the amount of time on Instagram. Yeah, exactly. We are preaching to the the (laughs) choir. They're like checking it off. They're like, yep, been that website, did that. Yes. So just like you already have good listeners. So I'm like, tell your friends who aren't as cool. I mean, I post on my social media, like my personal pages. I just, we do a prop party for the California propositions and it's a group of people. We did a Zoom call this year with my brother and his wife. They hosted it this year and we just go through everyone's assigned a different prop and we talk about it and you, who whoever's property is you explain what it is and then we all kind of do an informal poll on how we think we're going to vote for it and then I always share that those results with my community because I know a lot of people don't want to do the due diligence and if you're one of those people just find yourself a political friend who you trust you think your politics align yes like there's so many ways to do it yeah. I mean, you're spot on. Something I saw yesterday, because I'm, I'm in California now, but like all of my stuff is registered to Kentucky. I'm still paying taxes there. So I was like, you know what? I'm voting Michelle. Like, I don't yeah. give a crap. You know, it's looking unlikely. Um, but, uh, you know, there are also like within sort of the propositions, there are companies that have been sending kind of like phony progressive voter, you know, voting guides and right. saying like, this is what we are voting on. And then in the corner, it's like paid for by Uber. I'm like, see? <laughs> They're out here because they know they're trying to confuse you. So it's like, I think it really is important just to reiterate that, like, if you have friends that you trust who you know are on top of it, go to them. Don't just trust the piece of mail that comes. They don't have your best interest at heart. Right. (laughs) They paid for this to go out. They paid for millions of these to be disseminated into the community to confuse you. Right. Right. So, yes, do your due diligence. Vote. Make sure the people around you vote. That is like, I mean, that's the most impactful stuff you can do probably at this point, two weeks out. And then I will just still also make a pitch for getting on the phones, especially two weeks out because um, you're not gonna be able to write your letters anymore. That's over. Um, Thanks for your letters, but now we need your voice um, for sure. You're going to have to show up. (laughs) You're going to have to show up for that. You're going to have to do it. Um, Okay. This question, I don't know if you're going to have an answer to, but so many people asked about it. So we'll just see. People want to know what are what is the deal with the Electoral College and do you think America will ever get rid of it? I think that we will abolish it at some point. I don't know how soon that will happen. I do think it within our lifetime they okay. will abolish it. And I think that it's because people are too educated about it now. Like mm. the reason I think it even lasted this long is because people were so um, disenchanted and disenfranchised about voting and about what any of it means. But when you have Republican um, politicians going on television saying like they only want to get rid of it because we'll never win elections without it. People are like, Oh yeah. Like this is your fail safe is having a bunch of land count for more than people who like live in condensed areas. Um, And so, you know, in case you're not aware of that sort of argument, the idea is that like the electoral college isn't, you know, based necessarily on population. Like if it was, or like if we got rid of the electoral college, right. Um, people always say, well, the coast would have an outsized influence on the election. Like it would just be New York and California. And it's like, yeah, that's where people live. Right. Don't you think that humans votes should count more? Like if you're so concerned, move to those coasts and change the, like the percentages. But the reality is Montana that has like, you know, maybe a million people living there or something. Like, I don't know, not a ton, um, shouldn't have 
like percentage wise shouldn't come anywhere close to a state that has, you know, 10 million people in its largest city and right. like 50 million people overall or however many, you know, like a huge right. amount of people there. Um, and I think that people are waking up because it's also like if we look at every election the Democrats have lost in the past 30 years, the majority of the votes went to Democrats. So right. it's like there's no answer. There's no answer to why we would vote you know, we would not let our votes count. And don't you want your vote to count for one vote instead of for like one of 30 votes? Right. <laughs> not even one of 30, like one of 300 million votes that get turned into 30. And then there's like some state that has 15 people in a cow and they're like, well, ours is 25. So Right. Right. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's such a mess. Are there any races or issues or things that are kind of maybe going slightly under the radar that you feel like folks should be paying attention to in these last two weeks leading up to the election? I think so. I think that, um, you know, the Supreme Court is a whole host of issues. But I think that, like, for me, if you are still on the fence about voting in this election at all, what we have to realize is, like, the president also appoints judges that are on circuit courts and appeals Mm -hmm. courts, which means that if you don't like the judge in your town and they're racist and they, you know, consistently rule against people of color for minor offenses and you try to appeal those things, those judges are appointed by the president. And Donald Trump is appointing more, you know, at, at the pace that he's going than Obama was when he was, you know, almost at the end of his four year term his first four-year term. So I think that like people tend to forget that that is an issue that, Mm. you know, is going to impact you for the rest of your life. But I would also say in that same vein, there are hearings that are going to be happening in the Senate um, before the election. So by the time the show comes out, I believe they will have already happened with the heads of these huge tech companies like Facebook and Google and Twitter, Mm -hmm. where, you know, the the hearings are kind of framed around like censoring free speech and the Republicans wanted to call them. But the reality is we're going to be talking about radicalization online. And I think that we want to be voting for people who understand the Internet, you know, not right. people who are asking Mark Zuckerberg why their Blackberry doesn't come on. And if that's like <laughs> his fault, like he doesn't know anything about that. They just don't get it. And like, that's literally right. how these hearings end up going. And so I'm like, we have to just be aware of the fact that like we have as millennials and Gen Z and even people older than us, you know, like we have the power to elect people who know at least as much as we do. Right. We can't take that for granted. And I think that like I'm voting, you know, because I'm sick and tired of these websites that, you know, we spend all of our time on owning half the Internet. We don't even have websites anymore. It's just Facebook and Twitter. And then we click through to little things like it's right. It's really frustrating. And I think that, like, the discourse would be better if we weren't spending all of our time in these places. So, like, I want to break them up. I don't care. I'm all team yeah. with Warren <laughs> breaking it up. So, yeah, I would say just, like, remember to vote in your interest. And I think that, like, a lot of people just be like, well, I live around this area. I'm like, okay, do you want to spend more on internet? Like, do you want corporations to be able to set the price of your internet or, like, the speed of your internet based on where you live? Do you want to, like, have worse internet than your white friends? (laughs) Do you want to, like, I mean, these are real questions. Like, do you, if you live in Appalachia, do you want to be, you know, consistently considered last when they make the decisions for where broadband internet goes? Or if you live in Bed-Stuy instead of Williamsburg and Brooklyn, not have the option for like fiber optics in your in your neighborhood like these are all things on the ballot even if they're not spelled out in propositions these are the people you're voting for and so i think that like people have to realize that 
there are the popular issues people talk about, but there's also just like the reality of things that we should know that we want or don't want. Yeah. Wow. That's such a great point. My gosh. Um, wow. I never even really thought about it like that. (laughs) It's all I think about. I'm like the internet better be better for me and my kids. I'm voting for the internet just so I can vote for the internet. internet, Yeah. Especially if the environment's like, if we, can't seem to get a politician who really wants to take the environment seriously. I'm like, well, I'm going to be spending even more time on the internet because we'll be inside the house. So like, it can't right. be slowed down because Netflix doesn't want it to be fast. Like, <laughs> right. Sorry. Right. We just we need to, we need Ugh. to be able to have it. Okay. We're basically out of time. I feel like oh, wow. I should ask you one more question, but I don't know what it is. So I'm going to try to think of something really great right now. Okay. Actually, I do, do know. I do know. Okay. I have a great question for you. I feel like one of the things that I've seen a lot, especially for younger people, people of color, people who are more progressive, which I include myself to be on the more progressive side of things. Mm -hmm. I feel like Joe Biden is kind of being presented as like the lesser of two evils. And Mm -hmm. I personally, as someone who is genuinely excited to vote for him and especially excited to vote for Kamala Harris, I'm just, I would love for you to tell the people just one reason why you're excited to vote for Joe Biden as opposed to a reason why you hate Trump, but something that genuinely excites you about Joe Biden. Yeah. I mean, something that I really love and admire about Joe Biden. I mean, there's two things. One is he has a willingness to change. And so what Mm. we have seen over his very long political career is that views that were conservative or like are considered conservative now, but maybe were more moderate back in the day, like you know, it wasn't uncommon for people to, with their chest, say on television that they don't believe in gay marriage, right? Right. And he has shown over his career that obviously this was something he wasn't educated on. He didn't know any gay people. It was the 90s. Everybody was hidden, whatever. Uh, He's changed. And I think that even since the primaries ended, right, and there's this whole backlash from progressives because, you know, Bernie Sanders was doing so well until black people finally got to vote, And, you know, in states where there are populations that aren't just white or, you know, young Hispanic populations, we saw that, like, when you add diversity, there are diversities of opinions. Um, Even since then, he formed a coalition with the Sunrise Movement that is like, you know, has AOC and Bernie involved, giving him details about the environment. And I believe truly that, like, we need leadership that is willing to hear arguments against what they already believe and internalize it. And instead of, you know, treating it like some wrestling match or like, you know, it's all about their ego or what they said before, internalizing new information and being willing to change. And so he's already been pushed to the left on the environment since Mm. March. He's already been pushed to the left on, you know, abortion and the Supreme Court since March. And so I think that like, Because we don't know everything now, and because I'm sure there will be more information about the environment as it gets worse and worse and these storms get bigger and bigger, I want someone who's willing to hear those criticisms and say, okay, maybe what we came in saying was going to be fine isn't going to work anymore. Like, I don't want to be on the Titanic and have them say, like, we're just going to hit the iceberg. (laughs) You know, like, I want them to, to start turning the wheel. Like, I would love that. And so, you know, maybe that's a broad thing. But I also think that, like, you know, Joe Biden, Joe Biden is not afraid to have contradictions within who he is and what he believes. And I think that, like, mm-hmm. it is refreshing to see a Catholic person say consistently that, like, it, my personal view shouldn't dictate what the law of the land is when it comes to Roe v. Wade. It's codified law from the Supreme Court. We're not repealing it. Like, it doesn't matter what I think. 
I would love to have a president that says it doesn't matter what I think. God, what a refreshing. Yeah. <laughs> that yeah, just called me. That's my self care is hearing like in my own head, just God. a president, an old white man saying, it doesn't matter what I think. That's my kink now. Like I'm obsessed with this idea. Yeah. <laughs> and so I can't, I mean, I already voted for Joe Biden, but I was truly excited because the past four years have been so terrible. So it's like, yeah, obviously it's going to be in contrast to Trump. He is like relentlessly stupid. Right. But I think that like there are characteristics that I admire in him that I wish that I, in, in Joe Biden, uh, that I wish that I had myself. Like I wish that I was more willing yeah. to <laughs> shut up and listen. And I, I love it. Yeah, that's so great. That's such a great note to end on. Um, as I mentioned in the beginning, Akilah and I will get together in person and talk For about sure. books. I can't wait. So one day, one day we live, I think, very close to each other, which is yeah, like so sad. Probably. We probably are like walking distance from <laughs> each other. But unfortunately, we're COVID. not able to do that. So if you want to hear us talk in person about books, vote for Joe Biden and other yes. Democrats on the yes, ticket so that please. we can get out of quarantine. <laughs> yes, we would love to be in person. So like, just do the right thing. We would love for there to be a national yeah. mass mandate so we could just nip it in the bud, be more like New Zealand, be able to go outside. It would be lovely. Yes. Do the right oh, thing. My gosh. But until then, while you're still in your homes, get Akila's book, obviously, or listen to it on the audiobook version. That's yes. great, too. Or do both. My gosh, why not support your local yeah. bookstore? Use Libro FM and get the audiobook and support your local yes. bookstore and then order from your favorite black owned bookstore. I mean, yes. there's so many opportunities so for off. you to support people. <laughs> um, but and then also, of course, listen to What a Day. Yes. Um, Akila, thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me. This is my favorite podcast to do. I honestly feel like I have a light about me for the rest of the day. And I hope everyone listening feels the same. Yay. Oh my gosh. That's the best thing to hear. And everyone else go vote and then we will see you in the stacks. Thank you all so much for listening. And thank you, of course, to Akil Hughes for being our guest. Remember, the Stacks Book Club pick for October is the autobiography of Malcolm X as told to Alex Haley. We will be discussing it next Wednesday, October 28th with Mark Lamont Hill. Make sure you're subscribed to this podcast wherever you listen to your podcasts. And if you're listening through Apple Podcasts, please take a moment to rate and review the show. For more from the Stacks, follow us on social media at the Stacks Pod on Instagram and at the Stacks Pod underscore on Twitter. And check out our website, thestackspodcast.com. Today's episode was edited and produced by Sebastian Alcala. Our graphic designer is Robin McCrite, and our theme music is from Tagirajis. The Stacks is created and produced by me, Tracy Thomas. 